Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is the podcast where we speak to intriguing people with fascinating stories that inspire comedians like you and me to live this comedy journey on our own terms. Now today's guest is a, he's a very special guest. He is a man who can host anything. He can host an orange party. He can, he can, he can make you laugh with random stories of torture and all sorts. He is a man that can make any little thing into a hilarious joke. He's a man with many stories and many authentic tales to tell us today. Please welcome the brilliant, the fantastic Mr. C. Oh, my days, man. Marvin, what a welcome, man. Wow, wow, wow. I'm, I, I don't often get a welcome such as, such as warm as that. It's usually... And how, next up, we have this funny guy uh, with glasses. His name's Mr. C. But yeah, yeah. thank you. I appreciate that. I, I, I'm going to give you a round of applause. That was a welcome and a half, mate. <laughs> What's what's the worst one you've had in that? Jeez, <laughs> the worst welcome. Um, oh, did they call me by the wrong name? Oh, no, no. Sorry, I'm getting that mixed up. There, there was an event that I did where I was booked for an event, and they sent me the flyer. And on the flyer was a completely different guy, and they had my name next to it. So they had some random black guy. <laughs> that was a. That was a word. So that to kind of like say, hey, hey, hey this is not me. <laughs> Bloody hell. That's a bit, I don't know, that sounds a bit, that doesn't sound like a random. <laughs> I have to say, and the reason why I'm saying a random black guy, because it was an image of somebody I've never seen before. I don't even know if this guy was a comedian. I don't know who he is. I've never seen him. I've never seen him on the circuit. Don't know who he is. When I showed it to all of my friends, nobody knew who this guy was. So I don't know where they got this image from and then what made them think it was me <laughs> that's ridiculous that's that's like someone getting a picture of jackie chan on their comedy post and then saying that's me listen i'll tell you what if it was jackie chan it would have been more closer to looking like me as well <laughs> oh god <laughs> oh my gosh yeah so that would have been the worst that would have been the worst but you you must i mean you've been in comedy for a, a while and you must have lots of stories of people like you, you do all sorts of gigs. You do a wide variety mm -hmm. of different gigs, and that's correct. You must have a lot of people saying, doing things. Let's just say in a very silly manner. Like they will. I mean, I spoke to a New York comic, mm -hmm. and he says that when he's um, on certain lineups, he'll just book. You know, him and another black comic will see each other once every year or something. Listen, there, there has been those times. I mean, I think things are changing now, but there definitely were those times where, you know, um, when I was up and down the, the country doing the circuit, the main circuit, as we call it, um, where, yeah, it, it, it felt like it would probably be, uh, you know, I, I'd say probably it, it wasn't once a year. It would probably be once every two or three months. I may be, uh, back up with another black comic. Um Probably every year, if it was a black female comic, it would be. Um, oh, shit. Of which I think at the time, female black comics, Ninia Benjamin, Gina Yashere, um, Helen De Silva back in the days. There wasn't, there wasn't many um, back then. But um, yeah, with the guys, probably every two, three months, I'd buck up with one of the guys. Um, Oh, Ava Vidal was the other um, black female comic at the time. Let me see Ava Vidal. 
must have been one other. It's, 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 the names are slipping my mind now because it's so far back. Um, Lorraine Benlos was another one who was, who was, who was quite active when I first started as well. Um, so these were the black female c comics out there. Um, but again, it was, it was, you know, back then there was, it, listen, you wouldn't even get two women on the bill. No. Oh. Back, back in the good old days, so-called, that you, you'd be lucky if you saw two women on the bill. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, well, 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 back in good old days, that sounds like old, that sounds like very Victorian. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been doing stand-up comedy for 24 years. So when, when I say back in the good old days, I'm talking about like when, when junglers were still king of the jungle. Um, as regards to, you know, comedy venues up and down the country, which were absolutely fantastic gigs to do uh, in the beginning. You know, no matter what people say about the junglers and empire, uh, you know, they paid for a lot of comedians, mortgages and the amount of work, the volume of work, um, the, 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 the beautiful standard and rooms that they provided for us to, as comedians to, to apply our trade were absolutely fantastic. So for me, when I first got on that junglers train, it was beautiful, you know, learning to cut my teeth up and down the country. Um, I was doing gigs up and down the country, but not to the, not to the kind of volume that uh, Junglers was offering me at the time. And it was just lovely because, again, you, you're, you're getting to work with some of the, 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 the bigger guns in, in comic, in comedy, the comedy industry. And, yeah, it, it lets you really, really know how funny you are. What what was your like journey into comedy? Because I hear so many different things. Like one guy said Spider Man got him into it. Another guy says he was the class clown. The other one says, "Oh, I was the nerd at school. I was uncomfortable, confident, and then I went into it." Like, what was it? Did you get in a fight with someone and you told them a joke to calm down? I don't know. What was your story? Well, what happened was I was walking down the high street one day and Spider Man jumped out and I beat him up and then this nerd came out from nowhere and beat him and beat. Him. <laughs> And I'm like, I can get you back, you nerd. And he was like, yeah, you need to tell a joke first, motherfucker. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how do I do this? <laughs> oh, all for the price of one. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, literally, I mean, a lot of people know this already that, you know, um, I've been funny from day one. I've, um, I've always been that guy at school, at workplace, family, friends, wherever I've gone, I've, I've always been that person who makes people laugh. Um, and, and again, as I say, you know, my family is, my family, everybody in my family is funny. Everybody. There's not one person in our family who's not funny. Everybody, um, you know. Um, and like my mum and my, and, my, and my dad are also were, were, were great advocates of, 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 of what's known as a good sense of humour. They love laughter. They love jokes. They love playing about. They love reciting stories and, and funny stories and, and jokes that they'd heard. So I grew up in that environment. Um, and also as well, it, it became a great friend for me, comedy, at a very early age. It, um, it, it allowed me, the introvert, to have extroverted skills and talents, which made my life, my social journey through life, a lot more comfortable and easier for somebody who's very, who's very much an introvert. So yeah, that's, that's 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 that was it. That was it for me. And did you get? Did you go to a course or something, or did you see a poster, or did someone pick I, you up? Or 
Well, what happened was, um, I'm a little bit of a paper hoarder um, for like articles back then, because um, everything's digitalized now, you don't need to really keep snippets of newspapers or whatever, you just have thousands of pictures on your phone. But back then I'd cut, anything that interested me in a newspaper, I'd cut it out and put it up into, I had a little folder and stuff. And um, I got sacked from my job. I went through some real horrendous moments with uh, an employee, employer that I was working for at the time. And I got sacked from them. I got sacked from another job. And I made the decision I wasn't going to work for anybody ever again. I was going to be my own boss. And I remember being in my room and going through just some of the various paper clippings I had. And one um, newspaper I had, one newspaper clipping on the front of it was all about being a teacher. And when I flipped it over, it was all about stand-up comedy. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do both. <laughs> and it's literally once I made that decision, I just started seeing things as regards to that. I saw a course which was um, about becoming a teacher, trainer, and assessor. Uh, and I made sure I got myself on that course. And then I started seeing um, uh, things, uh, adverts for, like, do, do you think you're funny? Um, enter this competition, blah, 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 blah. Um, and that's how the journey started. I literally made that conscious decision that I'm going to do comedy, I'm going to be a teacher as well. And yeah, that was it. That was the start of it. So that would have been 1998, that would have been. So same sort of time that Murph Control started. Yeah, yeah, roughly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jeff, good old Jeff Whiting, yeah, 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 yeah. Did you did you get off doing the like the mainstream circuit or I I I feel a bit nervous about saying this. I don't know how to say the other like. You know, it's all right to say the B word. It's all right. Okay, it's just, the black it's just, circuit. Yeah, it's just the N word. It all makes people get nervous. <laughs> I don't know how to say because some people say the urban circuit. So I I I'm like, let's see. What I can say to you, Marvin. Um, I'm 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 pro black to a certain degree, man. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> like urban doesn't mean anything to do with my culture at all. Urban, if you look it up in the dictionary, is is it's it's non-generic of, of 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 cultural race. So and we all know what people mean by urban anyway. You mean black. <laughs> so yeah. Let's just say the word black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, back then it was it was um it was it was all for me, it was all about the main circuit. Um, I wasn't even aware that there was a black circuit when I first started doing stand-up. I had no, I had no um, idea that that was happening. Um, I was aware of black comedians because I'd seen them on programs like The Real McCoy, Get Up Stand Up, but I didn't. I thought that these people only performed on the main circuit and they just happened to get into these black TV shows. Um, but I didn't realize that there were um, comedies, comedy uh, clubs or venues which were like for black comedians and black audiences. I, w I wasn't aware of it when I first started. And did, how did you, how did they sort of, how did you get into doing both of them? Like how did that like? Well, well what, what happened was as, as I, you know, as, I, as you start your comedy journey, the most important thing is what you're doing is looking for gigs. So, you know, I'm talking about, obviously we didn't have the, um, Chortle or any of those kind of websites back then. We didn't have Facebook wasn't invented yet. 
there's no there's no Instagram, there's no Twitter, there's no YouTube. So I, I, I kind of I have to say this for people to understand that the only way you found out about comedy gigs back then was through word of mouth or through Time Out magazine. Time Out magazine had a comedy section. You'd look through there to see where the comedy shows were happening, um, the main proper circuit clubs and the open mic nights. Um, it had usually a contact name and number, mobile number, or uh, and, and you would phone that person and say, hey, I'm a new comic. I'd love to come down and do your, do your room. And that's how you went about getting your gigs. And then, you know, every now and then you'll see a show advertised and you're like, oh, hold on, I, I recognize that name from the Real McCoy. And then you realize, oh, my God, this, this sounds like it's a total black show. So you, you'd go and watch um, and it'd be like, you'd, uh, I was just like blown out of the water when I, the first like, um, black comedy show that I went to. It was just like, bloody hell, this is just on a different level. Um, because, uh, you know, what people don't really understand the difference between the main circuit and the black comedy circuit is is the number one the vibrancy of the audience and again sometimes the size of the audience the size of the shows are on completely different levels so if we've got something like the comedy store the comedy store holds probably around about i think 300 400 yeah um junglers back then was probably doing something like two, it might have had 200 in a room or whatever, which is nice, a lovely size. Uh, for some most comedy venues in London are probably, bar the comedy store, we're probably around about capacity of around about 200 or less than. Some of these comedy shows were being taking place in town halls, like Batsy Town Hall and various, where there's like audiences of 400, 500 Broadway Theatre Catford, where I think the, the capacity is like 600 or something, can the other Hackney Empire, where the capacity is 1,200. So these are the places where I've seen black stand up comedy shows. So it was just like on a different scale, it's like, wow, this is phenomenal. And like when you hear the roar of 1,200 people laugh compared to the room of 200. Is a big different is a, is a different feeling. So, you know, straight away I wanted to get some of that. I wanted to to, to ju jump on those platforms, and it was a lot harder back then. Um, there was a comedy uh, comedy uh, night called In the House, which th they ran theirs like on the on a Monday actually at the comedy store, and they wouldn't allow no new comics to perform. It, you had to be an established black comedian to perform on that gig. And it took me probably around about two years of hard work before I could get on one of those gigs. And even then, back then, if you got on one of those gigs, you would never be billed. You would never be on the, on the flyer or the poster with the other named comics. You'd just be the open spot and you, the name would never be down on there. So that, that, that was a journey. That was a journey. But the main circuit is what kind of gave me the, the you know, the main circuit I could do like five days, six days a week. Whereas like the, the black circuit, it might have been once every two or, 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 or four weeks I'd be able to jump on a black show or go and see a black show. So there was more white shows because, again, just the numbers, there was more white, there's more white comedy clubs happening. Uh, and there were lots of good clubs back then as well. You know, we had, um, obviously, we've still got it up the creek, which is a fantastic venue. Um, I mentioned the Junglers Network already. 
We had, um, oh gosh, one down in Hammersmith. The names really escaped me now, but that was a lovely, lovely cosmic, cosmic comedy club. Um, Absolutely beautiful room. The Bedford, what we still have it down in Ballam. Absolutely beautiful venue to play. Um, I've mentioned the comedy store already. Um, Comedy Caf in Shoreditch side. Um, Again, another amazing venue. Uh, Noel. absolutely brilliant uh, 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 man and had a love and a passion for comedy. So they, there was some lovely, lovely, and there was many more lovely venues to play and to uh, aspire to jump on those platforms and, and, and play those rooms. And what about now? <laughs> now, well, now they're, they're still, you know, I've, I've got to give a mention to downstairs at, the, uh, downstairs at the Queen's Head as well. Downstairs at the Queen's, oh God, in Archway. Um, downstairs at the Queen's, King's Head, that's Peter it. Peter Gray it. in Washington. Yeah, Peter Gray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Again, another fantastic room. Um, and a guy who, who who just absolutely loves comedy as well. So, you know, for me, those were the those were the foundation uh, venues in London, which I really aspired to play uh, and to go and watch damn good comedy as well. You know, just to go there. Uh, even if I couldn't perform, I'd go there and watch brilliant comedians perform and uh, just got a feel of what this industry is about and what the levels of being a comedian was all about as well. Mm. Um, like now, I mean, you know, I, I still give props to the comedy store, Don, um, for consistency. Um, and again, you know, you, you, you know you're going to get quality when you go there. Up the creek, um, I give a lot of kudos to because, um, again, they've, they've really... I think they were the first set of people to really embrace this newer generation of comedians and take them under their wing. And, and they've really been really great at providing a diverse platform for comedians, male, female, different races, ethnicities, sexualities. Um, also, I've got to give a big shout out to Top Secret. I think Top Secret are, 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 are providing an absolutely fantastic uh, room for comedians to go and apply their trade on you know, so many days of the week. Uh, and again, uh, providing audiences a place to go, you know, to go and get top quality um, comedy during the week and stuff, which is um, difficult sometimes because they're usually just open mic nights. And um, where else in London? Leicester Square Comedy Theatre is another brilliant venue. Absolutely fantastic venue that I love and adore. Um, and again, still, uh, you know, Bedford Arms is, is, is brilliant. Banana Cabaret is, is, the, is the name that I should say, really, um, which is, again, a, a, a lovely, lovely, lovely venue to play. Um, so these, these are, these are the, 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 the rooms that I think today are, are really kind of important for any young comedian or any new comedian to, to, to go and watch decent comedy and, and to, aspire, to aspire to be playing in those rooms regularly. Um, also out of London, I have to give, uh, you know, special, special love to the Glee Comedy Club. I think for me, the Glee have kind of like taken what Jonglers had in its heydays and have really kind of replicated it in, into, a, into a much more uh, efficient and a much more uh, lovely environment, if I can say that. Because every single time I go and play comedy at the Glee, the, the way how the room is set up, the way how, you know, the DJ, the, the sound system, everything is just geared up for this perfect harmony between the comedian and the audience. 
Um, and there's some venues where they forget that. They forget that the, the harmony of this thing to happen right in comedy, it has to be set right for the audience to receive it. But most importantly, it has to be set right for the comedians to transcend it, to send it out to the audience. And Glee do that perfectly. I hear they give uh, comedians a free meal. Is that right? Yeah, listen, that, that used to be the standard, of course. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, back in the golden days, yeah, that, that you know, junglers, glee, yeah, you, to a certain extent, comedy store, uh, depending who you are and stuff. But yeah, that was, a, that's the, that, that was a standard. You were treated like the artists you, 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 you know, you were. If we're going to have you to come to work and, 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 you know, and entertain all this crowd of people who are going to buy uh, X amount of, of alcohol, and increase our bar revenue, then the least we can do is feed you. Um, so, yeah, so uh, brilliant. Feed, feed you and, and drinks tokens as well. Yeah, that, that's, I've, that's, I've seen that a few times, but not very often. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. It, 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 listen, it's such a lovely job to do. <laughs> now, with what's <laughs> when you had your first bomb, like you said, that's all lovely and all, it's great. But how did you take your first bomb when it first happened to you? Um, you know, I, it happened earlier on. It happened when I was still learning the craft. It was, um, it, it was a good lesson to learn. To be honest with you, it it showed me that you can't get this thing in one day, in one hit. My 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 first bomb was my second gig. Uh, I have to explain it because there were the, my first gig was, was for a competition. Literally, I saw, an, I saw a clipping which said, do you want to be the new, do you see yourself as uh, Eddie Murphy, the next Richard Pryor, blah, 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 all these big um, African-American comedians, Lenny Henry as well. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to go for this. This is, this is what I want to do. So I had to go for an audition for this comedy competition which has been advertised as, like, do you see yourself as the next Eddie Mitt? And the judges was one black guy and, like, three white women. And I had all of these jokes and everything, like, oh, the white woman is the devil, just blah, 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 and, you know, abusing black men and blah, 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 blah. It was all in my material. And it's like, because <laughs> I, I thought I was just writing this for a black audience. <laughs> Didn't know I was going to be judged by three white women, so... Uh, somehow they found it funny still and uh, they entered me into this competition which um, took place at, uh, 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 in a pub a venue down in um, Camberwell. It was the Funky Monkey it was called back then. Um, and yeah, it was, a, it was a, a competition and I went in for it and my first time I did stand-up comedy, I did half an hour. Oof because I didn't know about this five minutes thing. So I ended up doing half an hour, I think it was. And it was decent. It was, it, it was, it was, it was decent comedy. It made people laugh. I got through to the finals. Um, and then the finals was taken. So that was the Friday and the finals was taking place the Saturday, same venue. And I had this brainwave idea was like, yeah, I know what I'm going to do because the judges have seen everything that I've done. So tomorrow I'm going to do something new. So I sat down and wrote a whole new set. And oh my gosh, I died the death of a thousand comics that night. Um, one guy came up to me 
and he was like, oh, Mr. C says, you're so funny. You're so funny yesterday. <laughs> and that was like, that's, it was in that moment I realized that, you know what? This thing requires craft and it does. It's not as easy as it looks. It really requires craft and you've got you to gotta know what you're doing. So that was the first humbling moment for me. And with like with things changing, comedy and like comedy always being ever changing, you always have to change this. You got to change this joke, or mm -hmm. so you got to add different things to your set. How how did you um, how did you approach doing both the different circuits? Because I hear like in the black circuit, you got to be very confident and you have got to get straight to the point. Whilst with the mainstream circuit, they're a bit lighter. And they give you a chance before you let in the jokes. Yeah, yeah, I think definitely. I mean, like, you know, the different comedy environments require different things. And I think this is what some comedians have to get their head around, especially, if, you know, you know, not just new comics, some experienced comics. There's some loads of experienced comics who say they won't play a particular room or a particular environment. Uh, and that's because, you know, some people just want to be, you know, look, some footballers are happy to play in the Endlessly League all their lives. Some people know that they want to play Champions League. So the demand playing Champions League is a lot more, um, you know, you've got, it's, it's a lot more quicker, it's a lot more faster, it's a lot more thinking, it's a lot more, you know, the, the stadiums are bigger and everything. So the pressure when you've got the, the, the opponent's fans shouting obscenities at you, as opposed to like on the Endless League where there's only, there's only 30 of them compared to like 50,000 is a different kind of level of pressure. So some comedians can thrive in the environments of pressure, some um, because, you know, we are still human beings at the end of the day. So some of us have got anxiety issues still, even though we're comedians. Some of us have got nerve issues still, even though we're comedians, self-doubt issues. So I think all of those things play a part in it. Um, but the difference between the, the environments of the black comedy circuit and the mainstream is that Black audiences tend to, 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 to thrive off of energy and they want to really feel that energy from you, the comedian, and you have to, you have to deliver it. If they see any weakness in you, they'll be like, this person doesn't look like they're ready. And I haven't come here to, to watch somebody try. I want to I see somebody who's, who's prepared to do. Or if you're going to try, you can't let the cracks appear. They want to see you try, fail, but you, you still gave it your best shot. And they'll be like, well, you know what? You was rubbish, but, you know, there's something about you. you, you keep, keep with it for now. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't want to see you like five times and you've died. They're, because they'll be telling, they're the ones who be telling you, no, you need to give this thing up now. <laughs> Whoa. Whereas a, whereas a mainstream audience, they'll be like... won't look at you or you know what I mean so so yeah so I think that, that there's different there's different types of environments and you know there's some comedy clubs which are an absolute beast to do um like it, I'll give you an example um junglers had comedy many comedy clubs you know Camden was a lovely room to play and any comedian of any kind of you know racial ethnicity could play Camden and do well Jungler's bow, completely different bloody animal. 
whether you black, white, Chinese, whatever you are, if you go to Jungler's Bow, you've got to be on your bloody game, mate. You've got to be on your A game to do that room because you, you've got them Essex boys and them East London lads who've got all about, they're all about the banter. They will heckle the shit out of you of your shit. Or even if you're good, they'll, they'll throw a heckle at you. And if you don't deal with that heckle in a smart, intelligent, and a funny way, and they see any cracks in you, you may not finish your set. So there were some people who didn't want to do Jungler's Bow at all because it was an animal. It was an absolute beast. But I loved it because it, it reminded me, in a way, of certain, certain um, black audiences because it's real. It's absolutely real. They're not going to allow you to get up, go up there and start talking shit. And they'll be like, oh, shut up. Or, hmm. yeah. So some of the sort of artsy stuff that you see in the Edinburgh Fringe, um, they would have to be very confident and, and loud to be able to do it. Confident is, is the right word. Not, it's not so much about being loud. It's about being confident. And also, it, it's about being funny. It's like, you know... What look, humor is subjective, one hundred percent. Yeah, um, and there's various different form formats to stand up comedy, even itself. There's some Lee Evans, very very show and telly. He's going to tell you something. He's going to show you it. Um, Milton Jones, fantastic one liner. Jimmy Carr, one liner. Um, and then you got th th those are a little bit more. You know, Billy Connolly, more of a storyteller. So there's so many different formats to it. But I think what it is, is that you have to be really good at what you're doing. Um, whereas there's, there's some forms of comedy, which I'm not, it's very close to a monologue more than what it is stand-up comedy. And like, you know, there's some audiences, Jungler's Bow, Black audience, they're, they're not having it. It's like, this is not comedy. If, if Tommy Cooper or Milton Jones went on those sort of audiences, what would you make? What, what, what would you suggest they do to deal, deal with that sort of thing? Milton, Milton, Jones, Milton Jones will murder a black audience. He's funny. Milton Jones, Tim Vine even. I, I'll tell you the truth about Tim Vine. Like, I'm not a big lover of, of one-liner comedians. Um, Milton Jones, for me, though, because I've been watching Milton from I've started doing stand-up, and he's, he, Milton Jones is probably my favourite one-liner comedian of all time, bar none. I absolutely cry tears of laughter when I watch Milton Jones. Um, and Milton Jones, I, I think he would absolutely murder a black room because he's just consistently funny with it. Um, Tim Vine, I saw bits of Tim Vine on TV first. I, had, I've, I, I don't think I had ever witnessed um, watching him do comedy live. So I had a perception of what I thought Tim Jones would be like. Um, Tim Vine, rather, would be like. And I was booked on a gig with him. And um, a little bit of ego kicked up in me. I was like, okay, all right, yeah, okay. Um, I'll stick around and watch a little bit before I go and everything because he's the closing act. But, you know, I've got stuff to do. So I'm going to do my bit and then it's going to bounce. But I'll probably watch the first five minutes out of respect and then go. First three minutes of, I'm watching this guy and the room is in stitches. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like, this is so beneath me. <laughs> Let me tell you, he got to three minutes and 15 seconds and he dropped a joke. And the whole of my body said, oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> and then from that first little, oh my God, that's so funny. 
By the time he finished, I had cramp in my cheeks from laughing so much. He absolutely destroyed the room, destroyed me. He was so, so, so funny. So, so, so funny. And I think, again, somebody like Tim Vine, he would, he would, he would, he would destroy it. He would destroy a black room because funny is funny, mate. Hmm. You know, funny is funny. And just own whatever it is, own it. And like, just, just go, just do it and go yeah. and sort of firing like Maverick does in Top Gun or something. Yeah, 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 man. Go have, have faith in what you're doing. And, and again, it's like, you know, as comedians, we've always got to do a little bit of research. And that's what it is. It's like sometimes our ego gets beyond us. Like we go to a different place or a different venue or a different country and we expect them to just accept us as we are without doing a little bit of research about who, who are they? Who are we addressing? What do we know about them? You see what I mean? So and I think sometimes you have to do that. You know, you have to be, you have to show an audience that you understand them. And they appreciate that. And now they're willing to go on a journey with you to see who you are. You see what I mean? But a lot of times, a lot of comedians just turn up at venues and think, oh, it's all me, 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 me. And they'll be like, oh, actually, we don't even know who you are. We don't even know nothing. You know what I mean? It's like, you're still, you're still alien to us. So when you show them, oh, my God, oh, my God, he understands. Oh, my God, he knows the bad areas, the good areas. They, oh, bloody hell, oh. You've won them over straight away, you know. I've got some image of my head here you're, of some what's it called? Just, just basic respect, and like it's like sometimes when you see there's a bit of animosity when someone goes in, oh, 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 and they start talking down to certain people. And I feel like what you're saying there is, as long as you're just yourself and you're not giving any bullshit or anything, and just talking straight up with people and just doing your thing. If you're funny, you're funny, and. That's 100%, 100%. Real recognizes real. And that's, and, that's, and that's the most important thing. That real will always recognize real. You know? And like, again, you, you know, don't be condescending when you go, to, when you go somewhere else. You know, it's, 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 it's a golden rule. It's like, you know, I've seen comics go to, to places like Birmingham and they're talking about, oh, yeah, so we've got this problem. Oh, have you not got TV here? It's like, and then when they come up to say, oh, no, they, they didn't get me. Uh, uh, you know, they're a bit cold out there today. No, they're not cold. You offended them. You know, you thought you was being funny, but you've offended them. Like, have they got TV? Of course they've got bloody TV. That's not even funny. That's not even a joke. You know what I mean? So these are the things which sometimes people do Then they have a view of that particular room or that particular area or that particular type of audience because you've had a negative experience for the fact that, you know what, you didn't masterfully deliver your craft that night. That's why you've got a bad experience of them. Well, is that something that maybe happens more now than it did at the start? Like, because I know with comedy changing, comedians changing, audiences changing, people's attitudes. Have you noticed maybe that happens more now or has that always been the case? Uh, I, th I think probably it could be more now um, because, you know, back then, like when I first started, you, your, your fans, people who came to see you were your only fans. You know, uh, I'm, I'm only a good comic based on the people who've seen me and who they've told, and that's it. And I don't know what that number is. So I'm always reliant on my comedy fans, the people who've seen me, 
that's the only that's the only bit of validation I've got. Whereas now, if I've got seven thousand people following me on Instagram, I've got five thousand people following me on Facebook. If I have a bad gig somewhere, I still have those numbers. I still feel like I'm somebody, and I don't care about that fan. I don't care about that club because I've got seven thousand people, or some people twenty thousand, fifty thousand people following me on Instagram. And with a lot, with a lot of that fan base, you, yeah, you got that backup. Like people say, that confidence comes from experience, but you need to have some some sort of success to have real confidence. Well, you see, that's what I'm saying. Some people have that confidence and that arrogance based on their numbers, not necessarily based on what they're doing on the stage. I'm not saying that all comedians with big numbers are in this category, but there's definitely one or two individuals out there who who've got massive following. Um, and it may not even be that they're doing stand-up. They're just doing daily posts and everything. So they've got the title as a comedian and they're doing comedy shows, but it's based on their, their, their social media numbers. And that's where that confidence has come from. But again, you put them in certain environments or put them on certain shows that, you know, an average comedian will destroy it. And never mind somebody who's seasoned like myself or, or the peers that I, I, I mix with and, and, and some of the heroes who I look up to. You know, you could have 200,000 fans on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, but you go up against a seasoned comic, we'll destroy you every single time. And that's the thing with like Mo and Paul, uh, what's the guy from Hot Water? Paul, um... no, not Paul, Adam, 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 is it Adam Rowe you're talking? Him as well. He's incredible with Have a Word podcast. Yeah. And... Paul Smith, that's the one. Oh, Paul Smith. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, look, Mo Gilligan, again, Mo's a seasoned comic, and you, you can see that from, you know, the fact that he's very comfortable on stage. Um, it doesn't matter what numbers he's doing in front of him, whether it's Hammersmith Apollo, whether it's O2, he's comfortable on that stage. Why? Because he's been on the big stages, big platforms for years. So he's comfortable, and he's a damn good stand-up comic. Um, again, Adam Rowe, he, he's what we'd give a title as a comedian's comedian. Every single comedian who's not bad mind will say, oh, my God, Adam is an absolute beast. Love his stuff. So he had that from way before the podcast. So even now that the podcast has given him much more reach with people and awareness of who he is, so that now he's able to probably fill arenas himself or fill theatres himself. But he's, he's, he's filling those arenas, yes, from the presence of his podcast, but he's had the years of mastery at actually delivering stand-up comedy so that when he's now doing these theatres, he can still deliver stand-up quality, um, stand-up comedy to, to a stand-up comedy to a quality level. Um, whereas there's some people who have got notoriety through social media who've never really done any stand-up comedy, and those are the ones who struggle. What's what's been a situation you've don't mention any names or anything like that, but like what's what's been a funny situation where you've seen like someone a funny situation where you've seen someone's ego get completely crushed in, like they come in really giving all that or whatever to everyone in the room, but then as soon as they go on stage they bomb horribly and then they start they become human again. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, um uh, I've never seen it from somebody like a social media star or whatever do that. I've heard stories. I've heard stories. And again, it's not even that, that individual's fault. 
I'll give you two stories. I, got, I just got to remember the, the second one. It's there now. Um, but I, I heard a story of, of uh, a comedian, in, Instagram famous comedian, uh, was doing these little funnies, had massive numbers. A comedy promoter booked them, and because of their numbers, had to pay them a premium fee, and that premium fee meant that they were now closing the show. Um, however, as I said, they was up against season comics, and season comics are thinking, who's closing the show? I've never even heard of this person before. So that all that does to a season comic is say, okay, you're closing. Let's go to work. Boom, boom, ah. boom, boom, boom. So whoever the comic was before him absolutely destroyed the room, and now he's got to come out to that. And he, he, I've, never, I've, I've never heard of that person doing stand-up comedy again. So that was one experience. The second story was, it's not so much somebody who um, had Instagram, but we, Kojo used to have a, a weekly comedy show, um, Kojo's Comedy Funhouse down at Cork's Wine Bar, Binney Street, Oxford Street, every Sunday. Um, and that's, that's where I first started doing comedy, because I used to run a night there called Come Make We Laugh before um, Kojo's Comedy Funhouse. But Kojo came to me afterwards and said, could he use the room? I said, yeah, blah, blah, blah. So we had this wonderful place where every week we'd go and do stand-up comedy. And Kojo had done amazing, amazing work with that venue. Um, but we had a, a comedian called Todju used to come there. And he used to have a friend who used to always come to the comedy shows with Todju, a guy called Charlie. And Charlie, every, every week he was there in the audience. And I think one week he must have said to Todju, oh, you know what, I could do what you guys do. It's easy. And Todji must have said to him, no, no, no this is not easy. You, you've got to be a gladiator to do what we do. And you, I don't, it's not as easy as it looks. He goes, no, 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 man. I'm going to give it a try. And so he went up at Cork's Wine, wine Bar to give stand-up comedy a try. And he died the death of 10 million comedians. And I can tell you from now, he died so hard, I've never ever ever seen him since then <laughs> this is a guy who went to every single comedy show every he never the experience was so bad for him he was like i'm never going to stand up comedy show again in my life <laughs> well at least he won't heckle then oh god it's one of the things I find interesting so in comedy, one thing I've often found, and I think a lot of other comics have said as well, is that people that you expect to have real big egos often don't, but people that you expect not to have big egos often do. Do yeah. you find that to be a bit of the case? Because you've mixed with many different people from different levels, from different kinds of walks of life. And what what's your situation finding people from the top to the bottom to the middle and all over the shop? I think, to be honest with you, most most of the comedians that I know are, are, are well grounded individuals, and and that goes from the way up to way to, to to way down. To be honest with you, I mean, every now and then you get some 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 new whippersnapper who um, gets a little bit too um, how can I put it a little bit too familiar in the green room. Like you know, you, you've got to understand that there's there's. You know, there's a there's a kind of royalty in comedy, man. 
and there's a there's, there's levels of decorum it's like you know when i first started you know and then this is the thing is that you know comedy gives you access to to greats you know you could be in a room with one of your heroes it, within the space of a year two years um i found that i found that i was like oh my god my first black gig that I did, I was on the same bill as Richard Blackwood. This is some. This is a guy who's got his own Channel Four TV program. And I'm like, frigging hell! I'm on the same bill as Richard Blackwood. I'm now in the same green room as Richard Blackwood. You know what I mean? It's like this is a guy who I've seen. I've been watching on MTV, and he's got his own show. And flipping out, I'm in the same room as him. But do I go up and start being pally-pally with Richard Blackwood? No, I don't. Because uh, even though we're on the same bill, we're not the same. We're not, we're not peers. I've got to earn that respect. You know, the same like when I, I, first I'm working with like the likes of Gina Yashway, Felix Dexter, Angie Lamar, you know, um, or, you know, from, the, from, from another perspective, uh, the first time I'm working with like um, <clears throat> Adam Bloom, and uh, Jeff Innocent, um, oh gosh, Terry Alderton. These are people who I absolutely, Ricky Grover, you know, people who were just, for me, when I first started comedy, were, were absolute legends. Daniel Kitson, who was just an absolute beast at the comedy calf. These were like people I was just like amazed by. And then to, you know, to be on the same bill as them and to be in the same room as them, listen to them talk about comedy and, I, I, you know, you you don't just go up and start pretending like you're the best of friends. You, you know, you you earn that level of respect. And the way you earn that is by doing a damn good job when you get on stage, and they will come to you and say, "You know what, kid? You did good. That was good. That you see that joke? What you did there? You allow them to establish that relationship with you, and that and by the the way how they establish that relationship with you, it lets you know at what level you enter in as, um, as, 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 as a friend or a peer with them, mm. you know? So, so th those, are, those are the kind of uh, the, the lessons you learn. I, you know, I mean, even like, I'll tell you a story about like uh, Lenny Henry. Lenny Henry is a comedian who I've met a few times, um, not many times, but a few times. And, you know, Lenny's aware of who I am. Uh, and, uh, you know, Lenny's very much a big hero of mine an anti-hero in, in some ways as well, um, which I'll explain another time. But um, but the first time, you know, I'm in a room with with Lenny Henry in a comedy moment, um, it's at Hackney Empire, and I'm, I'm established at who I am as a comedian. You know, everybody in the building knows who I am. But this is the first time I'm in the room with Lenny Henry. And Lenny, um, I, I'll tell you what happened. He saw Dane Baptiste for the first time. And he was like, oh, my God, who is that guy? That guy's amazing. I, I, you know, I'm going to have a conversation with him. And so I said, yeah, no, no problem, Lenny. I'll, I'll give you his details. So he goes, oh, yeah, take my number. I said, yeah, it's a long time I wanted your number, Lenny. But that was a joke and everything. But then in that moment, I realized me and Lenny are not on that same level. Yes. So I said to him, no, what I'll do, I'll give you his details. Because what I've realized is that I'm not, I'm not on that level of friendship with Lenny to have his number. You see what I mean? Yeah. Even though I am Mr. C and everybody in the black comedy circuit knows who I am, I'm not on that level. Me and Lenny are not peers. We're not friends. So I can't just assume that I can just take his number 
You know what I mean? So I've got to be respectful of that. I've got to be respectful of where he sits within this hierarchy of, of, of stand-up comedy and his, and his status as well. And don't just assume that I can... I, I have to earn that. Dane earned that. I didn't earn that. You see what I mean? So even so, I just want people to be aware that even at the level that I'm at, where you know I've met Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, um, loads of other big name comedians, um, I still have to look at it and think: How does this person engage with me? Do, do you get that? Do you get that little? When you meet a hero of yours, I sometimes have it where you get that little girl feeling like, "Oh my God, my hero's here." Do you get a little bit? Of, bit of that that puts you off a bit um do i get that do i get that i i, I think the, the first time i met chris rock um i had a little bit of that just a teeny bit um i think for me the only time when i've really been emotional at meeting a comedian was probably when i met dick gregory paul mooney because um, they were absolute comedy heroes of mine, comedy legends and heroes of mine. And because, again, um, especially um, Paul Mooney, because of, of, of all the work that he'd done with Richard Pryor, because Richard Pryor was the one and only comedian I wished I could have met and had a conversation with out of all comedians, Richard Pryor above, above everybody else. If I, if I had met, sat down and had a conversation with Richard Pryor, I'd be happy of not ever having to speak to another comedian again in my life. Um, so Paul Mooney was the closest I could get to that. So that, that, that was a wonderful moment. And Dick Gregory for all of the, 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 the work that he had done with civil rights movements. And again, um, just keeping it real still, it was a pleasure meeting him. And I, I did have that, that, that moment. I was like, oh my God, like, this is Dick Gregory, man. This is like, wow. Like you, you, um, you know, like comedians in the UK, I, I, I don't get gassed at all. They're, they're, they're regular people. They're lovely people. Um, you know, that some of them are just, you know, some who are a massive star, like John Bishop. I've got to say, John is probably one of the nicest people you could meet. But there's, there's so many names. There's so many of them. We'd be all day saying names. But, um, you know, people who, who are not so, not so nice, there's very few of them, I would say, in my experience. Very, very few of them. I've never really been in a room with a comedian who's, who's, who's ever given me a bad vibe. Who's been a who's been a like a well known public figure comedian? Hmm. With the thing with the one thing that's good about comedy, maybe is that you you have to earn it more so than maybe acting because acting you could have one lucky break and then it's you know you're you're the big thing. Well, one hundred percent is is comedy is consistent man. You just have to be consistent with it. You know, you know, you, as, as you said, with an actor, you can you can be in a, in a, in a big movie, you could be in a shit movie, and then you could be in a, another big movie again. It doesn't, it doesn't really, you know what I mean? Whereas with comedy, if you're, if you're consistently shit, mate, it's all on you, isn't it? You see what I mean? It's all on you. It's, it's, it's you know, the, the gratification all comes to you, but then if anything goes wrong, it's all on you. Whereas with a movie, there's other actors, you know, there's there's so many other things which can still make, even though your performance was bad in the film, the film was a good film. Or your performance could have been good, but the film was a bad film. So there's so many different factors with, with being a film star. Now, with 
comedy sort of having changed and all that, mm-hmm. uh, do you have any secrets on the big names? No, I'm joking. <laughs> I, can't ask I can't ask that. That's too far. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's, yeah, yeah. what's the? Mo Gilligan is a transformer. Is is not a real human being. He's a transformer. He's been sent here by Optimus Prime. Oh, okay, okay, man. That's good. I'll I'll tell him that if I see him, I say, listen here, mate. You're you're. Well, I can't say it like that, as you said, yeah. but I'll, I'll send it, it, it in a, in a note. Yeah, he's a transformer. He's a transformer. He's one of the good guys. He's a, I won't tell you who I won't tell you who the um the Decepticons are. <laughs> now they're the ones who are consistently shit, but yet still seem to be getting on, on TV. <laughs> how 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 did this, how sort of comedy change from like I mean we mentioned it already, but how has like the audiences changed on both circuits, like the black and the the mainstream circuit, and how has the style of comedy changed? I don't think the audience have changed, uh, me personally. Um, I think the audience have been consistent to how they are. Um, I think there's certain things which have changed. Some of the comedy promoters have changed, i.e. Because, um, you know, it's the comedy promoters who put, who, who choose a lineup and put it in front of an audience to consume. Um, so, as I said, back in the day when it, you know, it'd be very, it'd be very unlikely for me to be in a bill with two female comics. But now we see, you know, the likes of people like Kima Bob, uh, where she's putting on all female shows, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, so I, I've got to give a shout out as well to Soho House Theatre. Um, they are absolutely cu- curating some wonderful shows at the moment, um, where you know, uh, again, all female shows, shows which are, have got fantastic variety. Of, of sexes and, and cultures, um, absolutely wonderful breath of fresh air to, to, uh, to programming comedy for everybody. Um, and I think, that, that, so those are some of the pluses which I'm seeing. I mentioned Up the Creek again already, and they're providing that. They're providing platforms for all comedians, all different styles of comedians to be seen. Whereas, you know, back in the day, you had to go to a particular club to see a certain kind of style of comedian or again, through the comedy promoters having one either political stance or again, one kind of um, social, social class stance. They only provided those type of comedians on their platforms because they wanted to, they wanted their comedy shows to reflect how they saw their, how they saw they wanted society to be. Whereas I think now we've got more free-thinking, more open-thinking individuals putting on comedy shows and comedy events. So it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a much more breath of fresh air, I think, now. Okay. What, <clears throat> what, what's been the like, maddest moment you've, you've witnessed in comedy during all years? What's, what's been a moment where, on both circuits where it's made you question comedy, it's made you question humanity, that you've seen happen on stage? Either someone's got in a fight, someone's tried selling drugs right on stage, right there, as a performer. I don't know. Um, wow, 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 wow. That's a that's a that's a big question. Um, there's one or two memories that stick out in my mind. Um, I'm just trying to just trying to see if there's any others. I mean, oh gosh, um, I did a military gig uh, for the U.S. Army in Germany. Um, where the headline comedian 
had cerebral palsy. Uh, my good friend Charles Walden, absolutely fantastic human being and an absolutely amazing comic. Um, but there was one member in the audience who was just consistently heckling every single comedian uh, and the host. And no matter what put down they was giving this guy, he was still heckling consistently all through the show. Um, I got up just before Charles, as being the only English comic on the bill of Americans. Um, he heckled me. I gave him some put downs. Audience laughed. He still tried to come back for me. I was like, put him down again and just got on with it. And then it came to Charles. Um, and Charles, as I said, he's got cerebral palsy, so he's he's he, he's not the best of walkers. So he's walking onto the stage and everybody in the audience can clearly see that this guy has some kind of medical condition to which the heckler shouts before Charles even gets to the microphone, hey man, what the hell's wrong with you? Whoa. Before he's even got to the mic. So Charles, you know, the audience is by now, we're fed up because this is the headliner. So the audience is like booing him and everything. And Charles is like, no, ho, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold, hold on, no, 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 don't worry, I, I, I got this. And Charles says to him, everybody can see what the wrong with me, but the question is, everybody want to know what the wrong with you? And the place just went mad. We was crying with laughter. And this guy got up out of his seat and went to, went, went to run to the front of the stage like he was going to attack Charles who's got cerebral palsy. And so a couple of people grabbed him at the front to stop him from getting on the stage. And Charles says, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Let him go. Let him go. <laughs> but, but, but I say this, before you come up here, think about this. If you come up here and you me up, ain't nobody going to be surprised by that. But if you come up here and I, you up, how that going to look on your army record? And the place went mad. When I tell you the place went mad, and he started, he wanted to fight and everything. They had to handcuff him. They got military to police to handcuff him and take him out of the venue. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is nuts. I was like, what is this? What the military, is this what like is performing in, in, in these military places? And one guy was, was next to me, he said, hey, man, this is nothing. He said, you lucky it ain't the Marines today, because if it was the Marines, somebody might have died. <laughs> <laughs> but those guys are crazy. I was like, wow, 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 man, wow. So, yeah, in all the, the, the environments that I've done comedy, um, military bases are the most challenging because of, you know, I think sometimes with, 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 for us as comedians, we take it for granted that just because somebody's come through the door that they want to laugh. We don't ask ourselves the question, why are they here to laugh today? What's going on in their lives which has made them come here to, to escape from their, la from their lives to get a little bit of laughter? And this is why sometimes for us as comedians, we've got to let our ego go. When we look in the audience, we see somebody not laughing. Somebody may be sitting at the front and not laughing. Allow them to not laugh. Concentrate on the rest of the people in the room. And the reason why I'm saying this is because one of the first military bases that I did, I, I was doing stuff about relationships. And there was a couple sitting in the front row. 
and I'm teasing the girl and everything, you know, in a way kind of flirting with her, casual, but because I'm trying to set up a joke. And the guy kept on saying to me, hey, man. And the more I'm, I just, I just ignored it. I'm just kind of, so yeah, so, okay, so how did you meet him and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, hey, man. And then the third hey that he gave me, something in my brain says, that is a warning. He's not just saying, hey, it's a warning. You need to, you need to acknowledge the warning and step off. So I did. I, and later on, somebody explained to me what was happening. He said, hey, he said, see, you know, you're a great comic, but you got to understand that, you know, that stuff, what you're doing when you're picking on a couple and you're, you're asking them questions, certain, you, you need to stop that, man, because that's what the guy was trying to say to you. Hey, man, don't go there because, you, you know, it's hard enough for these guys sometimes being in a relationship with somebody on a, on a thing because, you know, he, you know, he may be now tomorrow going into Vietnam, not Vietnam, going into Afghanistan for six months, seven months. He ain't going to see his girl again. He don't know what she's doing. So the fact that now you're kind of loosely flirting with her before you go, is going to frig with his head, man. So these are some of the things. So I was like, wow, I didn't even look at it from that perspective. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, blah, 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 blah. Just like, wow, that's the kind of pressures that even though he's here for comedy, because of the nature of his job where, you know, tomorrow he could be away from the love of his life for seven months. Tomorrow he could be in a place where he knows every day there's a chance that he could die. So don't pick on me today, man. Let me just enjoy this moment without having to... You see what I mean? So it's really, really, it's really deep. And I remember being at a show once where every comedian was killing the audience, but there was uh, a mature woman with two younger women. The mature woman was laughing, but the two young girls were not laughing at any of the comedians. And I was hosting it. I was like, what's wrong with these witches? Uh, you come come to show you you just got... So I was doing... I did, I did material which I thought they would like, blah, blah, blah. Nothing. And I took it personal that I'm going to make these witches laugh. And then, it, like, every comic was like, hey, man, did you see them two girls over there? Huh? What's wrong with them? They didn't laugh enough. Oh, yeah, man, I've noticed. And so every comic now is ready to come on. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, all right. So... Came to the end of the show. Nobody made them laugh. Came to the end of the show. And the mature woman who they was with came up to me afterwards. And she was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for this show. It was brilliant. It was hilarious. She goes, you know what? We've had such a great time. Um, you know, that's why I brought my girls out tonight, just to have a laugh and everything. Because they lost their dad last week. I was like, oh, my goodness. Wow. And she said, yeah, I just need to get them out of the house, man, because they've been crying for like a week because they lost their dad. And I was like, wow, wow, wow. And there's me with my ego, like, how dare you come to the comedy show? You're not laughing, blah, blah, blah. So sometimes, you know, you know, life is real. You know, and we've got to, rem we've got to remember as comedians, yeah, there's going to be one or two people who are not going to find us funny. For whatever reason is their reasons. We don't have to know it. We just have to not get caught up in that bullshit, man.
and make the other people laugh, concentrating on those people who are laughing because, you know, life can, life can be real sometimes, man. Yeah. No, I, I agree, man, but it's bloody difficult. I hear so many times of so many comics, they say, oh, I'm making the rest of the room laugh, but when they see what someone not laughing, they're always focused on that one. Yeah, there's, there's many reasons why somebody's not laughing, man. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, uh, allow, allow them to enjoy it the, their own way, <laughs> is what I'd say. Yeah. It's, yeah, focus on what's... It, I mean, I think with all forms of entertainment, whether it be music, movies, or comedy, mm -hmm. we're there for them to forget about whatever's going on in their life and then for them to have a good time and then mm -hmm. to get on with the rest of the life. We're like a stress reliever. That's correct. That's correct. You know what I mean? That is that one hundred percent correct? It's is is performing an escapism for us and for them. One hundred percent. It's it's a it's a it's it's a joint connection between the two parties. And uh, you know, look, this we got to admit as comedians, there's some days where oh my god, it's not happening for us because of stuff that's happening in our lives, you know? There's, there's, there's comedians who have got to go on stage the same day that they broke up with a partner. Hmm. There's comedians who've got to go on stage the same, the same time as they've lost their job. You know, there's been a death in the family, but hey, man, you know, it's a booking. You, you're doing Comedy Store this weekend. You can't just cancel or, or, or whatever it is, you know? So... And sometimes we get to the stage with a bit of funky energy, is what I'll say. And we don't do our best performance or our performance is a little bit off because of the stuff that we're going through in our lives. So, you know, we, we've got to understand that that's the same for an audience member. You know, they probably thought, oh, you know what, a comedy show will make me um, feel better. But the comedian who was on before you may have been talking about relationships and that's brought it all back to that person and made it really fresh and made them sad again. The fact that, oh, my God, yeah, man, oh, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss her. And they're in that moment of sorrow. So it's not about your material was rubbish or they, it wasn't funny. They were just up in their feelings at that moment. Hmm. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's cool, yeah. man. That's bloody deep, man. <laughs> yeah. Don't sweat the small stuff. That's the thing. Don't sweat the small stuff. Concentrate on the on 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 what you're delivering because then what happens is that you become so self-centered that now it, it almost feels like you're just performing to that one energy in the room that doesn't want your energy and you're ignoring all the other percentage of, of people in the room who who want and and willing to receive that energy. So give it to them. Yeah. I got a really funny I got all that's what's gone into my head is don't simp <laughs> perfect absolutely perfect <laughs> it's completely unrelated but it's the same sort of point isn't it don't sure simp. is sure is uh, no no it's, with if you were going to give one bit of advice to a comic or to anyone out there that's listening now that isn't obvious. Like a lot of comics say, you've got to work hard in your car, work your butt off, do all these different things. But what's what's a bit of advice that you think might not be obvious for people that they should they could take? Well, in, in what what you mean, a, a, a new comedian, all comedians, what kind of? Just for uh, 
just yeah, just for comedians in general, what something that isn't obvious that they should that they could they they should think of apart from every everything everything what I'm going to say has been said before. There's nothing that I can say which is new or unique and that uh, that most comedians don't know. Um, I would say that like treat comedy like it's it's your 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 lifelong partner. Number one, um, don't give her a title. It's my missus. She's a woman. You've got to look at comedy like a human being. And when you start respecting comedy like that, like a human being, instead of a title or a job, you'll always be in love with it. And that's the, that's the key. Is, is about, you know, staying in love with this art form. And because sometimes we'll just go for the motions, like in a relationship, you know, five years down the line, seven years down the line, you've forgotten, you know, why you wanted to, 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 to take a, a, Uber, a Uber cab halfway across the other side of London to go and spend the night with this person. You've forgotten the reasons for that. Now you're doing that journey and you're like, oh, shit, here we go again. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what happens, it ends up being a monotonous job. You're just going through the motions. There's no passion. There's no love. There's no connection with it. And you'll see it. There's a couple of comedians who have stopped doing comedy because they got dead behind the eyes. They're just going through the motions. They weren't really enjoying or loving what they was doing anymore because they was just going through the motions. So, so you've got to always think, you know, how can I bring some new flowers to this partner of mine called comedy? You know, where can I take comedy on holiday? What can I do to freshen it up? Mm. To feel different, to feel, you know, to feel excited again. What can I do? You see what I mean? And that's what you've, you've always got to be thinking like that. You've got to be thinking like it, like, like a partner. What can I do to keep this relationship fresh? Because if you don't, there's going to come a time when you're going to, you're going to be on the stage and you're going to be like, what the heck am I doing? I don't even enjoy this anymore. <laughs> And when, when that day comes, it's, it's a hard place to be, you know, um, because then it's either you stop doing it or you find something else to do or sooner or later, it will stop you from doing it. It will leave you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because people will just be like, I don't know what's happened with C, but I don't think he's funny anymore. Mm. And they won't understand why. Because they'll see you do the same material, but it just doesn't... They'll be, they'll be like, <laughs> they'll be doing that laughter with you. Because you're dead behind the eyes, man. The pity laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, you, you'll, you'll get yourself into a, into a ruck or you'll get into a, yourself in a state of depression. So you have to stay in love with it. You have to find new ways that uh, you, can, uh, you can really spice this thing up. And, and, and that is, I think... Um, by being true with it, by, you know, every now and then you've got to go back to basics. Like when you first started, that passion, that energy that you had when you first started, you know, wanting to prove yourself that you can do it. Um, you know, you've got to give yourself some new challenges. Every now and then you've got to step out of your comfort zone, be vulnerable, like how you were in the beginning. Because with vulnerability, you, you, you find that um, you recognize the mistakes as being lessons. And then you apply the lessons to the trade, to the mastery, and you become better at it. But when you, when you think that you're, mm, okay, I can do this with my eyes closed, you become complacent. 
And when you're complacent, you do not grow as an artist. Treat it a bit like uh, what's it called? That daredevil guy, Evil Knievel. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, Evil Knievel. Wow, you look too young to remember Evil Knievel, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know his. I remember his son, and I remember the name. <laughs> uh -huh. Evil Knievel. Yeah, 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 man. That, that he was a character, mate. Gee whiz. Wow. Yeah, mm. Evil Knievel was a stuntman. For those of you too young to to know. He had a motorbike, uh, white suit with parts of the U of the American flag, and he would he would he, he, I think his greatest moment what he did in uh, in America he, he was in a car uh, propelled by a rocket and he tried to, to to jump the Grand Canyon or whatever it was, and it, I don't think it made it and it parachuted down and he did Wembley the old Wembley Stadium tried to jump over something like twenty two double decker buses and and crashed and broke his hip, his neck, ah, oh, absolutely mashed up himself. But yeah, 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 the good old days. <laughs> How did he practice for it, though? Did he, like, I don't know, his bedroom, just, just put a couple of logs to jump jump over? I think so, I think so. In his back garden, he had a couple, he had a couple <laughs> bricks that he, he practiced jumping over. I mean, how do, how do you practice jumping over 22 double-decker buses? I've no idea how you prepare for that. Or over the Grand Canyon, it's it's yeah, it's beyond me. I just got some picture of him but burgling houses and then running away through different places to escape the police. It must 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 have must have. I'll tell you one thing, mate. He must have had shears in toilet paper though, because ah, oh, flipping out. The adrenaline it must have been crazy. Comedy, yeah. People say that we're brave doing comedy. Comedy is not like that. <laughs> One one hundred percent. You know what I say to people. I start saying it to people now. We need to stop this nonsense that comedy is a scary thing to do. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. It's the easiest thing to do. Um, yeah, to make people laugh is the easiest thing in the world to do. To do stand-up comedy, it requires a craft, though. And once you've acquired that craft, it, it becomes easier to do. Okay. Now, for I think this is a great way to end the podcast. And for anyone that's like listening in now and they want to find out Mr. C and say, Well, mate, how do we find out about Mr. C? Like, I want to go and watch his shows and all that. How do I get in contact? Okay, then obviously the usual channels are uh, <laughs> uh, Channel 4, not really. <laughs> the usual channels are uh, in, in social medias Instagram, Twitter, Mr. C Comedian, M R C W E Comedian. Uh, Facebook is C Styley because uh, that's uh, that's my name, Mr. C Styley. Um, but again, if you if you really want to get into and learn how to do stand up comedy, then um, come to to, to to my associates, um, the Comedy School. Run one of the, the the comedy tutors there, so that's thecomedyschool.com where we run stand-up comedy courses, uh, six-week stand-up comedy course. You do a showcase at Backyard Comedy Club, which is another venue I should have mentioned as well. Apologies to Backyard Comedy Club, absolutely fantastic venue as well. Uh, Dan, uh, the manager down there, brilliant guy, absolutely loves comedy, eats, sleeps, and drinks it. Um, and, yeah, you do your showcase at Backyard Comedy Club, and that's your first steps into becoming fantastic stand-up. So uh, there's loads of us who have done that. Jeff Innocent, myself. Um, Kane Brown, 
Quincy, Cole, there's so many of us who, who, who uh, we've come through the doors of comedy school. Who, uh, and I, again, comedy, I'm not saying comedy school makes or turns people into comedians, but we help you to kind of understand that I can do this. And there's, there's, there's other comedy school, um, classes out there, of course. Um, uh, I think City Link have, have, have got one. There's one um, comedy in, in, uh, in Brighton, run comedy courses. Um, Logan Murray, again, um, guy who I totally respect. Um, fantastic comedy tutor as well. So these, 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 these people. Uh, are definitely the ones who you should uh, seek uh, further information and uh, guidance if you're going to do a comedy a comedy workshop. Hmm. Uh, and, and so funny, if you're across the pond, then uh, check out my, my, my homeboy, Greg Dean, absolutely fantastic guy as regards to understanding comedy and what's needed in order to be a damn good comic. So he's, he, he does courses in America, in LA, Greg Dean. I think he might have one or two online as well. I think he taught Anthony Jeselnik, didn't he? Yep, 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 yep. He did, he did, he did. Gayla Johnson as well is another one of his. Um, even, even myself, I, I've studied with Greg as well. So brilliant, brilliant. Okay, guys, so you know where to go if you want to become a comic. You know where you want to go if you want to find that Mr. C. I hope oh. you guys have enjoyed so one other name I've got, I forgot to mention, Chris Head as well. Chris Head, uh, who was doing um, comedy workshops with with Jeff Whiting with VMF Control. Chris Chris Head, fantastic brain as regards to stand up comedy. And again, if you're doing like a solo show as a producer as well, producer director, I should say as well. Absolutely brilliant, Chris Head. And he's got a very good book on stand up comedy as well. And one thing, if you're going to Edinburgh, as a lot of you probably are, if you're listening to it now. Chris Head will be a good, good, good help, helping hand. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And of course, John, um, John, what's his face? John Gordillo as well is known for being. Yes, yes, yes. I, 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 I don't know much about John's work, but the others I can definitely endorse. But John, uh, John's a name that I've been, I've heard for for a while. To be honest with you. Yeah. There's Gordillo, so John Gordillo. There's so many places for you guys to go if you want to turn your Edinburgh Fringe show from a sponge cake to a Chinese pandan cake. <laughs> and this, you know, if you want to know about comedy, you know where the A's, the birds and the bees are. Come on now. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> the A's and the bees, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you like the episode, subscribe, share it with your friends, and make sure you give a five-star review on Amazon or iTunes. 100%. Because if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. <laughs> with my bare hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bad jokes, bad jokes. <laughs> exactly. Dad jokes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, guys.